Welcome to this APQC podcast. I'm Lauren Trees and I lead APQC's knowledge management research. And I'm Holly Lyke Hoagland and I lead APQC's process and performance management research. And Holly and I have been working very closely together on APQC's 2021 process and knowledge management conference coming up this October. And the theme for the conference is navigate the now. And the idea is to focus on things that knowledge and process management professionals are grappling with in the immediate moment this year in the immediate future. And when we think about navigating the now, innovation and agility come up over and over again. These are characteristics that organizations have always aspired to, but now more than ever, they need to develop and implement new ideas faster, fail forward faster, and change course faster in response to a whole host of factors. So today we're gonna to talk to some smart people and get their perspectives on innovation and agility. I'll start with Amy Abbas is one of our conference speakers. She's a business transformation analyst at Thomson Reuters, who's led transformation projects related to process, KM, innovation, data and analytics, a whole host of things. Thanks for being with us, Amy. Thank you for having me. Miko Alila is another of our conference speakers. He's vice president of product management at Capital Group. And he's used a lot of innovation and experimentation to improve knowledge management and data-driven decision-making. So thanks for being with us, Nico. You bet, thank you. And then finally, Melinda Monroe is yet another one of our conference speakers. She's owner and lead consultant of Monroe Strategic Perspectives and also been deeply involved in many innovation and transformation projects, especially in government and nonprofit. So thank you for being with us, Melinda. My pleasure. So obviously all of you have deep knowledge of all aspects of using KM and process to drive innovation and agility, but I'm really interested to find out how that's played out for each of you in the last 18 months. And specifically how your team or the groups that you've worked with have been called on to help organizations be more resilient. So Amy, I thought we'd start with you on that one. Yeah, you know, we've all been impacted. Um pretty significantly over the last 18 months in a variety of different ways. Um, my team in particular um, hasn't necessarily experienced anything that's a lot different from what the rest of our organization has experienced. But I, I think the, the one thing that's made the biggest difference for us um, in navigating the last 18 months has been the communities of practice that we have established. So, we have just in the last few years really been focused on moving from siloed information to shared information. And as part of that has been gathering together groups of um, experts, semi-experts, wannabe experts um, in those different functional areas. And so the timing of that worked out beautifully um, in the COVID world because we were able to very quickly gather information, questions, concerns, um, frustrations from all of those different communities of practice, and then also use those um, to feed the information and the decisions back to the organization in a way that was much more nimble than um, we've ever been able to do before. So we've got a knowledge management community of practice, a data and analytics, project management, change management, business analysts. You know, we've got lots of different communities of practice that reach out into all pockets of our organization. 
And then we hold a um, uh, what we call a, a MELD leader meeting, where we bring all of the leaders of those communities of practice together to share best practices. And it's really um, made this experience much easier to navigate. We, we felt much more resilient. I love hearing those stories about organizations that had some things in place that have really allowed them to, to get through this moment a little bit more smoothly and, and a little bit easier. So that's great, Amy. So Mika, what's been your experience of this at, at Capital Group? And um, what's, how has your team been called on to, to help the organization um, you know, respond and be resilient? You know, it's been an interesting time during the past 18 months, we've gone through a, um, a massive pro a sort of project in our knowledge management tools to replace a legacy system or legacy systems with brand new sort of state-of-the-art homegrown um, knowledge management systems that, um, you know, the investors at Capital Group use. And on the one hand, I was very impressed and very proud of how, how our team kind of just kind of plowed through the changes that COVID presented. We moved into remote working, uh, you know, kept building products, working with our customers uh, and our knowledge workers as if, you know, it was just a bump in the road. Um, what was harder was sort of the change management of shifting, you know, 400 to 1,000 users of, of knowledge management users into um, a brand new product in the midst of sort of the transition or to remote working. Uh, at the same time, we were kind of trying to take uh, some of our first steps in experimenting in earnest uh, with new product features and things like that. And I do have to say that we really miss the, the, the ability to go have the human connection and, and talk to users who may be confused, who may be resistant and things like that when it comes to their knowledge management tools. Um, and so that part was was more challenging than than sort of the the, the run of the mill running you know knowledge management software uh, inside a company. But I have to say that um, I think that even with that, um, you know, having myself had sort of hundreds of meetings to get people to adopt new products and, and answer their questions and demo things and stuff like that, um, I think that people have adjusted fairly well. And it's just another lesson in never forgetting how important sort of the one-to-one -one communications, especially in when it comes to building knowledge as a team, how important, important those one-to-one -one, um, sort of questions are going to be. And, you know, a lot of times I wonder, I can't even imagine if we had done this 10 years ago or 15 years ago with the, the tools of that day and how difficult or impossible this would have been. And so, um, you know, I'm glad to say we're in good shape now, but it's, it's been a challenging and a very sort of a hardworking 18 months, let's just say. Yeah, so the technology has made leaps and bounds, but change management is still change management and still challenging yes. and even more challenging in the virtual environment sometimes. So Melinda, what has your experience been of this and what have you seen in terms of, of organizations being uh, resilient in this moment? Oh, it's interesting listening to Nico talk about how the technology has made some of that more more possible, but also uh, to some extent, it, it's 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 hard to be resilient when what you need to be is is right up close with people. Um, so the the work I've been doing over this last eighteen months uh, has has been less tied to COVID and more tied to the changes that we're experiencing as a consequence of of the death of George Floyd, for example. So I work a lot with government, and my government clients have been called on to respond. Communities of color and and indigenous communities have said. 
you know, we need you to be different. We need, and, and so in the middle of trying to manage the pandemic, we're also trying to manage this pandemic attached to, to systemic racism. So what, what we've been able to do and what's been really interesting is, is to, to use, the, use the tools of process management to help organizations uh, gain confidence or to help organizations gain, kind of get their arms around, if you will, the, 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 the issues that arise from systemic racism. So, uh, the communities are saying, we just want you to be different. We need you to be different in, in kind of broad ways. But an organization as complex as a, as a local government, for example, says, well, you know, we do everything from treat the water to teach people how to swim to build roads. And in what way, in all of those multiple ways, there are things they have to tackle. And so what we found, and I guess in terms of the, you know, the, everyone's excited or everyone's interested in being better. They're just, what we've been able to do in order to help them get confidence. And I think part of this whole issue about resilience is, do we have the confidence in ourselves that we can, uh, we can react quickly, we can change quickly if we need to, we can pivot when things change, is that we've been able to say to them, you already have the systems, the process and, 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 and and quality management systems in place to respond to questions of racism or questions of systemic discrimination. We just need to actually put them to work and use those same, the same tool you would use to measure the quality of your ability to clean, to treat the water. You can use that same tool to measure the quality of your ability to respond to the, 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 the legitimate requests of people of color to say, please be better, please be different. So that's what I've been doing over the last 18 months, much less to do with COVID. However, as Miko said, trying to have those conversations, conversations that have real emotional and, and personal content over Zoom, over Teams, it's not easy. And so we've had to really adapt to some of the, the collaborative tools that we can use where people can, can collaborate and talk to one another uh, in really important ways about a really important subject during a time of, you know, where the whole world seems like it's under pressure. And I love that pairing of resilience and confidence. I think that plays into the kind of situation you're working with, but also more broadly into data and knowledge-driven decision-making and, and all those kinds of pieces. So that's really cool. And, and, and all of you kind of mentioned tools when you're talking about the resiliency aspect, um, but we're also kind of really curious as to what kind of tools did you use or are you using to help with that innovation and that agility aspect? Um, I know Mika, you mentioned that you guys had a new, uh, replaced an old KM legacy system, but what kind of things are you using either, like I said, technical tools or approaches like collaboration approaches to kind of embed that innovation and agility in the work you do? Yeah, I think that, that the heart of that is to really, there are really two things and it's, it has less to do with specific technologies and more to do with sort of the, the core process. And, and one of the two, the first of the two things is this whole idea of product management and that we talk a lot about product and product management and, and it sort of circulates in our common imagination right now. Uh, and a lot of companies really don't uh, still really have any product management practice. You know, most, mostly product management is equated to some sort of a more perpetual project management and, and things like that. But really having, you know, dedicated professionals who constantly talk to the customers and understand the customer need and customer state through actual one-to-one -one conversations and through the language of data um, is really at the core of the idea of the product management. And that is the main tool that we use essentially to, to really try to be agile and to, to respond to the customer needs and um, 
in sort of a timely, nimble fashion. The, the, the practice of product management then has to be paired with the other key um, uh, component, which is what I'd like to call empowered engineering. And what empowered engineering really means to us and means to me is that um, we have um, some sort of a technology platform that can be operated on quickly. You know, for us, we, we in a capital group, we use an AWS stack now, everything's in the cloud. We can basically do whatever we want as quickly as we can um, to respond to those customer needs that we get from product management. Um, a, a big part of the empowered engineering engineering paired with product management is also the fact that um, engineers in our teams are not sort of, as we might say, short order crooks. Uh, engineers, software engineers have to make hundreds of decisions every day um, to make the products really future proof and make them really work well for our customers. And those hundreds of decisions cannot be made in a timely fashion if they have to act ask somebody, what should I do now? And so part of that, so the paired approach with product management is to really have engineering teams um, who feel like they don't just own the how, but they also own the what and the why. And when they do, when they feel that way, when they, when they do feel empowered and they care about the customers just as much as the product managers do, then they can make those hundreds of decisions, no problem, lickety-split. Um, every day. And so those two things, product management and power engineering are really the, the key parts. And I think that, you know, paired with that, obviously we've, we've modernized some technology and things like that, but those are really the two, two dynamos of, of what we've been driving innovation. innovation. It sounds like it's kind of a, an empowered version of people, process, and technology, right? You have the system there with the process underlying it with empowered people, as well as good data coming in. And, and another aspect of the people is the customer's needs. And yes, it, 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 it really is. And those, all those three definitely like play into it um, all the time. And I think that a lot of times, uh, the, one of the, the hard parts about talking about um, people, technology, and, and process is that a lot of times it, it's hard to tell the difference, especially between the people and the process, uh, and sometimes even process and technology. And so we, uh, we, we try to... Um, sort of look at those as the, the outcomes rather than the input variable sometimes. And it's, it's easier for us to kind of just talk about uh, the, the product management and empowered engineering. So that, that's the reason why I kind of use the terminology and the language I do. Thank you very much. Uh, Melinda, I know collaboration tools is part of, of how you've stayed flexible in the work that you've done over the last 18 months. Um, are there any other approaches or, or methodologies or tools that you've been using to help with that innovation and agility? Yeah, we actually, so when we when we uh, sat down and said, how are we going to support our, our uh, local government clients to actually kind of get their arms around this question of, of, uh, of you know, anti-racism, of inclusivity, of diversity, we, uh, we actually brought together two tools that, uh, that I had been using or we had been using in the same context, but we'd been using them for things like how to save money. So on the one hand, we have a business reference model, which enables us to take a local government and, and be able to, to tease apart, as I mentioned, you know, doing everything from teaching a swimming lesson to treating the water uh, to issuing a, a building a deficiency violation or putting out a fire. So there's a whole range of things. So we, we have a business reference model tool that enables us to actually take each of those things and say, the core, what's the vision of the, of the local government for say public safety? And then what are the core uh, services or the core uh, resources or processes that are, are in a straight line from that fire to the vision of the community? 
or who treating the water to the vision of the community or teaching a swimming lesson to the vision of the community. And then we, we, we put beside that APQC's uh, process framework, uh, which then enables us to make that kind of deep dive into something like, okay, what are the decisions, what are the, 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 the steps it's gonna take to put out that fire? What are, and what are all the ways that it might have an, Im an impact on something like uh, diversity and inclusion? So for example, in a fire service, you might look at something like, What's the quality of the infrastructure in the neighborhoods? Are some neighborhoods having more fires or more dangerous fires because their neighborhoods inhabited by poor people or by communities of color? Who are we issuing those parking tickets against? Who are we issuing those building violation sanctions against? Are we are we collecting our data? Are we use, so are we using our process framework to to ask? Does in each case, in each question that we're developing, or each process that we're creating or each new policy, are we asking ourselves the key questions of, of, of inclusion? Who's included? Who's excluded? Who's part of the decision-making process? And is there something about how the decision is made or how the action is done that uh, builds in either a pro-diversity stance or builds in some kind of systemic uh, discriminatory stance? And so those two frameworks together uh, enable anybody, so anybody in the organization who's used to creating the procedure and looking at their service, anybody can actually uh, have, be empowered, as Miko said, to be able to say, I can make those, some of those decisions or I can make some proposals for how we can improve this process to make this output for the community safety or environmental protection or, or community development better from a diversity and inclusion perspective. So, and it really puts into the hands of, of every employee from the, the, the person on the front desk all the way to the, the chief executive officer, the capacity to ask those questions and ask them in a nice systematic uh, bite-sized at a time way in order to create the big outcome what you want, which is a community that's more inclusive. I love the fact that there's the same, and it's not just because I'm a process geek, um, that this underlining structure sets you free because you don't have to do a lot of rework. You don't have to spend a lot of time impacting your productivity and things like that, reinventing the wheel. Um, instead, you have a foundation that you can work off of to know what the right questions are and to build on. So I think, I think that's brilliant. So, all right. Amy, same question. Um, what kind of tools and approaches has helped your team be more innovative and agile? Yes, I love the, the notes, Melinda, about the inclusivity and the diversity of thought. We've been finding as well that the more inclusive we are, um, the better ideas we're getting, the better solutions that we're arriving at. Um, a couple of points that I would add here. Um, first, I just have to say, from a tool perspective, I'm a huge proponent of whiteboarding. Um, the, the conversation just tends to be so much richer when you have a visual in front of you. Um, and we've, we've discovered as we've really started to try to use whiteboarding uh, more often in, in all of our conversations, one-on-ones, team meetings, workshops, even just alone sometimes, that um, it, it, we're able to flesh out the concepts uh, much more quickly. And in collaborative conversations, much more quickly identify where there are differences of opinion or differences in understanding. Um, that if I'm documenting what I hear you saying and it's not actually what you're saying, um, you're able to see, like, oh, you don't actually understand this yet. And so we're more quickly able to get to something that's meaningful and helpful. From an approach perspective, um, just a couple of things. One, um, 
piece that we've really been focused on in the last couple of years in particular is business architecture. Understanding um, the business capabilities that, that are critical for our business. Um, what do we do on a day-to-day -day business across the enterprise, across our organization, helps us to then um, more quickly articulate what, what our strategy is going forward from a modernization, innovation perspective, assessing those capabilities, understanding where um, what's most important, what's maybe uh, less important, commoditized, where are the gaps, um, what kind of investment is required so that we can then um, improve across the board um, and more easily prioritize what's most important. Um, the last thing I would mention is that um, you know, there are lots of different flavors, right? Design sprints, design thinking, human-centered design, change management, lot of people looking at this differently, but at the very foundation of all of that is just the idea that we need to be talking to each other. We need to, uh, to understand who's impacted and, and you know, to what Miko, you were saying about being able to move faster and make good decisions. Um, how do we make sure that we understand who's all involved and get them involved in the iterative process early and often? Um, so really just a strong focus on people and on engagement has been really important to us as well. Thank you very much. And I love the fact that all of you kind of emphasize that when people think agility, they think speed. Um, but speed's only part of the component. Speed is meaningless if we're doing the wrong things. And it's about having the information you need to know what are the right things to do and the capability to empower people to do those right things um, as well as they possibly can. Yeah, I feel like so many of the tools and approaches you guys have talked about are building that confidence and that empowerment, the inclusivity, the transparency to make the right decisions at speed and, and to feel confident doing that, which is really exciting. So I wanted to, for our last question, shift gears a little bit. Everyone has had, I think, a, a visceral experience of the last 18 months, whether it's about the pandemic or a whole host of other events going on around the world. And so I wanted to ask each of you what you personally have learned about innovation and agility through your work or through anything else that you've experienced. Um, so Melinda, I'm sure you have a great perspective on this. Let's start with you. I'm, I, I, I was laughing as you asked the question because, uh, you know, I feel like I've had to become multilingual in a way that I never had to before. And by multilingual, I mean, is this a Teams meeting or a GoTo meeting or a Zoom meeting or is it, are we sharing a Google Doc or are we sharing? Or do we do, you know, it's just been like, and, and perhaps in some organizations, there's, there's been only one choice, but for those of us who work with multiple organizations, I'm like, okay, which, where do I find the button for that? Um, so that's been certainly something I've had to learn in the course of doing this. But I think what I think what also is, is what's been important, I think for, for me, and I think for the people I work with is, is as you mentioned, like having, um, you know, having the confidence that, um, we're, we're going to, it's going to be okay, right? We don't have, especially in government, people are very anxious about making mistakes. And I think what we've all learned in the course of the last 18 months is that we're learning as we go, we're going to do the best we can. And we're going to, we're going to pivot or we're going to shift gears when we need to. And as we learn more and that we're, we're constantly looking at, okay, what's the next best choice for this? What's the next best piece of technology? What's the next best um, method of change management that's going to help people to feel like they can take that next step and, it, and so it's it's this weird thing about being trapped at home where everything feels so stable and then being 
in, in our virtual world being on this massive roller coaster that's moving very fast. So I think that if I would say what what have I learned, I've I really learned how how to how myself feel confident being flexible and then how to share that confidence with my clients and support them and be gentle with them and give them, you know, some of these tools where they can they can do their work in bite-sized pieces. I love what you're saying about the juxtaposition of being in that very familiar environment at home, but your work life, your virtual life is all innovation and agility. I think we've all experienced that. Amy, what's been your personal experience of innovation and agility over the last year or two? Yeah, I think that the, the greatest learning I've had about innovation and agility is probably that we are all much more capable of change than we give ourselves credit for. Um, that you know, if we were to ask people, how long do you think you, it would take you to move from working in an office to remote working? Um, you know, most companies would have said that it would take months, many months, maybe even over a year to get their workforce home. And we all did it in weeks or you know, two weeks. It was um, a very rapid transition. So. I think very simply, it, um, the lesson is that we can do hard things. Yeah, I was having a conversation with uh, one of our members who said, it's amazing how change resistance falls away when you have no choice. <laughs> and I, I, that was definitely something I carried forward from 2020. Yeah. So Mika, what about you? What, what are your personal experiences about innovation and agility over this period? Um, when you were asking that question, I, I kept thinking of the saying, you know, where, what is, how does it go? Where, uh, wherever you go, there you are. Um, I moved from having worked in sort of the software and technology industry in Seattle to working for, you know, massive private equity, or, sorry, uh, uh, investment management company in Los Angeles about seven weeks before the lockdown started. And so I've personally had a bit of a tough time just moving into a new city is hard enough, but moving into a new city that's in lockdown is, is even more hard. And, you know, I've only learned to know Los Angeles insofar as I can walk my dog, you know, a few blocks here and there. And so that's been a little bit rough. And I, I think that, uh, you know, all those changes at once um, have, though, had sort of a common feature when you actually try to start innovating in a new company, in a new industry under brand new conditions. It, it really always comes down to earning the trust of those people who you work with to, you know, make sure that you don't go too far too quickly and, and make people feel too uncomfortable and make your customers know that you still have their best interest at heart when you come in with your new whiz banger ideas and, and things that you could be done differently and some strange new world that you imagine uh, as an innovator. And so, what, going through that journey, you know, under these conditions has been a little bit different, has been a little harder, has taken a little bit more work. But I think that at the core of it is still earning that trust. Um, and, and once you kind of do that, being able to have the liberty to then start experimenting and, and doing things um, with more degrees of freedom, I guess. And so, um, yeah, it's just taken a little bit of time and and but it's been probably an unforgettable uh, once in a career kind of a time that I, I, I shall never forget. I think your experience takes the cake, new city, new job, all of that. Um, that's, a, that's a crash course in innovation and agility if ever there were one. But I, I, I think that that's really insightful about the balance 
people are changing so much and we're recognizing that they can change more than they ever thought they could, but there are limits to how much you can throw at them at one time. And so building that trust is, is key to getting that balance right and moving them as far as you can and, and need to in that moment. I think that's great. Well, thank you all for sharing your experiences both today and at the conference in October. And thank you all for listening to this APQC podcast. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to APQC podcast and visit APQC.org to learn more.